Hello, and welcome to What Is My Podcast About? This is a podcast where we sit down on a fortnightly basis and discuss a topic. My name is Peter Graves Akerley, and I am joined, as always, by Keith Ramsey. Hey. And our once again special guest, Thomas Sheehan. And as always, joined by me. No longer a special guest. They say, I'm here to say. I'm getting rid of you as soon as I can. This might very well be your last episode. I mean, they say things happen in threes and it's always good, but I clearly don't understand why he showed back up for the third time. Yep, here to I stay. Will... Putting down roots. The <laughs> things that come in threes that are good are me, Matt, and Keith. That's the thing that came <laughs> in threes that was good. <laughs> oh, God. I want to apologize, but I'm not going to. Uh, what's going on in the world, guys? Anything interesting happening these days? Uh, well, I hear Scream. Well, as of this recording, I hear Scream comes out tomorrow. Yep, Scream 4. Looking forward to that. Well, not 4. Uh, Scream 5. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to that. Was there a TV show about Scream? Is uh, that true? Technically, there was two. Two? Yep. Yeah, so there's <laughs> two seasons for the first run, and then they did a reboot of it for season three, and it's a completely different story unconnected, but also they're working on season four, which goes back to what the first two seasons were. Uh, okay, Did, sure. <laughs> so it is one show, but a lot of people count it as uh, two different Scream series. I fucking love the Scream series. To be fair, the movie series. I haven't actually watched the TV series. Uh, I love actually, how in this... pretty good. I, I probably should take the time to check it out. I enjoy how in the marketing for this movie, uh, they released a poster with all the major characters and just the caption, the killer is on this poster. So yeah. they're very much so leaning into the kind of meta commentary that their movies always have been. Yeah. And there, another one was, uh, it's always somebody, you know. Yeah. I'm calling it now. It's Sydney Prescott. She's finally the killer. A lot of people uh, think it's going to be Dewey this time. Oh, if it was Dewey, I'd be into that. The one reason I've refused to accept it's Dewey is because of, uh, was it one of the scary movies that yeah, parodied Scream and had two. Dewey? Yeah, yeah scary, scary movie, movie one, actually. Yeah, it was the first, because yeah. two was uh, Haunted House. Right, yeah. yeah. And they parodied this and actually had Dewey be the killer in that one. Um, so that was, well, it was both a parody of, well, it's a parody of a lot of movies. But the scene in particular was a parody of uh, The Usual Suspects, where he walks out, peels off a fake mustache, and his limp goes away, and he's a completely different person. Um, fun times had by all. Iser Soze. Brilliant. How dare you say that name to me. Also, it's not brilliant. You go back and watch the scene, and the one thing he does is goes from being a person who no one knows about to guaranteeing that cop spends the rest of his life chasing after him because he's very convinced that this person is Kaiser Soze. All he did was ensure that one of the cops knows for sure, and thus all of the cops know for sure who he is. Well, what year did that movie come out? Because, like, <clears throat> it'd be harder and harder to track down a person without, you know, smartphones and uh, cameras. 1995. On yeah, I'm thinking, I mean, he definitely got away with it, because that makes the ending all the more uh, terrifying and cryptic. Uh, there was a game that was announced, too, that uh, it looks pretty interesting. Uh, have you guys heard of SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters? Card Fighters? Yeah, it's coming to the Switch. No? Okay, so... I can't say that I have. 
card. Tell fighters. me about SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters Clash. Uh, it's just a card fighting game uh, on the Switch. That's pretty much what it is. I mean, there's been a lot of um, a lot of card games in the past. I'll say five years. It's like, everyone's tried to make their own TCG. Uh, really, I, I, stemming all alongside how much there's been the intense need for like gotcha games. Like you look at hero collector games or gotcha games on your phone. Pretty much every franchise has one. Looney Tunes, every single anime. It's is uh, a lot. Oh, this is a whole fucking series. Yeah. The first SNK versus Capcom Card Fighters game came out in '99. The most recent one was on the DS in 2006, and they're bringing it back now, 16 years later. I fucking like it. <laughs> Ballsy. I wonder how little they've updated it. Uh, apparently, it's just a port from the original. Oh boy. Even well, to be fair, that's the Switch's whole meta right now. Is just. Re-releasing games from the early 2000s slash late nineties. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to shit on the Switch. I actually find my Switch quite enjoyable. Uh, it is great for writing. I love the Switch, but it is just bleeding money out of me by you know making me buy things that I already own. I don't need to buy again. Nonsense. I have five copies of Legend of Dragoon. To be fair, Switch is just trying to get on some of that Todd Howard money and just re-releasing Skyrim over and over again, except they can't do it on the Switch, so they have to... Well, I think they They did do it on the Switch. What I mean is they can't keep re-releasing Skyrim over and over on the Switch to make more money for Nintendo, so they need to just start re-releasing their old properties the number of times Skyrim has been re-released to get that sweet, sweet Skyrim money. Do you think it's just, you know, like, on a checklist somewhere? Like, when you're announcing new tech... Uh, you're announcing like, uh, here's our new platform. You know, it does this. It meets these requirements. It runs Skyrim. It like so and so. Bethesda just has yeah. a, a working contract with every industry that makes any of this stuff that like you have to put Skyrim on it before you can release your console. Yeah, it's kind of like how anytime new hardware was released for a PC, that had to show how much better it was at running Crisis Two. Now it's just anytime any thing that's capable of playing video games at all is released, they have to explain that it's also capable of running Skyrim. So you know it's not just a little dinky system, but can actually run proper games. But they also just end up reselling Skyrim on it as a part of that. Yeah. Uh, it, they're going to find new ways to sell it and resell it just as the years go on. Now, there was one other topic I did want to touch on, uh, which isn't really from anything particular, but I think this is a good way to uh, end Thomas's last appearance, as Peter has so said. Uh, the Spider-Man uh, No Way Home people have uh, come out and given the four rules of how the spell works are specifically the implications of the, spool th- the spell that can't be violated, essentially. Yeah, so the four rules... Uh, uh, one, uh, everyone still alive who knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man no longer remembers this. Number two, everyone still alive who had a relationship whatsoever with Peter Parker now views him as a stranger. Number three, reality itself has been rewritten to alter all physical records as of the current state of Peter Parker into a new replacement history. And number four, Spider-Man still exists in the historical record, but was never unmasked. 
So this is a little bit more powerful than we were originally suggested. We were told it was just a memory spell that changed everyone's spell or memory. From the way they're describing it, what it does is alters reality to a point where this is what reality would be if Spider-Man had never been unmasked, and then updates everyone's memories to go along with that. The only person who doesn't have their memories updated is Spider-Man. And they also clarified that, uh, to explain a few things that happened with this as well, it's as of the moment the spell is cast, so it doesn't alter uh, like the past, it alters the current reality, and then retroactively fixes everyone's memories to think that that's how it worked backwards. So yeah, everything so, you saw in Endgame with Peter Parker and everyone like, oh, hey, Peter Parker, that all still happens. Everything in the movie still happens. It wasn't changed. But everyone's memory was replaced with new memories to make sense with the new reality. Yeah, and it's very key that they phrase in the sense of everyone living uh, loses their memory of it and everyone living thinks Peter Parker's a stranger because by phrasing it that way and not just everyone forgets and everyone thinks of him as a stranger... It doesn't take away his relationship with Tony Stark and Aunt May. If they decide never to bring him back, it's fine. But if they have Peter Parker talking to ghost Tony Stark, they still have that relationship in place. They're not taking away every single support line that Peter Parker ever could have. Um, Also, uh, from the description, uh, any documents that were reliant on Peter Parker, uh, but uh, so pretty much they only exist if Peter Parker got them don't exist anymore, which means Peter didn't go to high school and graduate, so that's why he had the GED book at the end. But he still has an like a social insurance number and a birth certificate, but uh, that's because they don't exist exclusively because of Peter Parker. They would have been assigned anyways, so that's why he still has them. Hypothetically, he no longer has an ID. would have to get it again, but... Yeah, like the birth certificate wasn't, in theory, given to Peter Parker per se. It was given to Peter's mother for Peter, so its existence is not dependent on being directly involved in Peter Parker when it was given. It was, in theory, just given to a baby who later became Peter Parker. Yeah, and my favorite thing about this as well is uh, someone explained, oh, new theories popped up, that because of how this works where it alters reality, the reason that he had to make a new spider suit at the end of the movie was because the one that was made for him by Stark it's we know that it only uh, the only reason Peter can use it is because it's coded to accept Peter, but because Peter Parker no longer exists, that means he can no longer use the suit. The thing I like about the spell, and I am aware that this isn't how it works, but in theory, this spell is functionally identical to a spell that, rather than erasing everyone else's memory of event and altering reality so that there's no proof of that event, uh, this spell is functionally identical to a spell that just implants fake memories in your mind, because the way the world continues existing after this point, there's no way of telling which one of those two spells, in theory, was cast. Um, So it's just a fun time for me to think about the fact that the uh, full moon party at Camartage never actually happened, and Doctor Strange just implanted fake memories, but is convinced that he cast the memory erasure spell instead. Anyways, that's enough preamble. Let's fucking get into this shit. I'm Uh, glad that they did release that, because obviously a a lot of people were curious about it. And Marvel cares about the fans, so... The thing I in particular like about it is rules 1, 2, and 4 was essentially what everyone assumed when they were debating on it, and 3 is the one that caused the most contention, because without 3, what about Flash Gordon's book? Couldn't anyone read that and then figure out Peter Parker's Spider-Man? And with rule 3, then how is he getting an apartment for himself? But the specific way they worded rule 3 
where all physical documents were uh, updated for this new reality. Um, yeah, it kind of like the covers both of those cases. Yeah, it's almost like the spell yeah. changes reality first and then catches everyone's memories up to that new reality. Yeah. So the way that that uh, rule three is worded in particular allows for both those things to be true, where he still has the documents required to get an apartment, but also the book that Flash printed or published about being friends with Peter Parker is never actually published in the first. Well, it was published, but it's been deleted from history, essentially. It's yeah. a good, because I was losing a lot of sleep over this, you know, wondering how the fuck did Peter Parker get an apartment? No, no, did he, did he, did he lie? Did he steal? That, that didn't sound like Peter Parker. No, no, that's that why I was losing sleep about it. Alright, so, uh, for those of you who have not looked at the title of this podcast, and who are unaware of what we're about to talk to, talk to, talk about, we're just fucking gonna get right into it. Uh, no time to be wasted on this episode, I guess. Um, tonight, tonight, today, whenever time of day you're recording this, man, I'm having a mental breakdown. I'm sorry, guys. It usually isn't this bad. Uh, we are talking about season two of the Witcher Netflix series. Uh, yeah. What do you guys think? Before, as always, before we get into it, gut reaction, good, bad, somewhere in between. What's your thoughts? I was expecting more. Okay, Keith. I thought it was really good. Uh, I the first season a lot. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, There are a couple scenes in particular that I'm going to address later on that I found to be fucking chef's kiss of beauty in this fucking series. Uh, But we'll get there. All right. So this one picks up right the fuck after season one drops off with uh, Geralt and Ciri being reunited, uh, and then. Uh, essentially being informed that Yennefer sacrificed herself during the uh, battle, and now it's not explicitly said that she died, but Tissé is unable to track her down, and Geralt assumes that she is in fact dead and died in the battle. Um, Which is, you know, not good. But Geralt does come up with the brilliant idea of taking Ciri to care more and to... uh, not even to train her initially, it's just because that's where he believes she'll be safest uh, during this war. Yeah. Now, I want to address like that right away, because that plan goes out the window in like seconds. After finally arriving there, they have like there's a party going on, and one of the ladies uh, brought in for entertainment talks to Geralt and like immediately knew already is like oh hey i heard you had a daughter it's like okay nope pack your shit we're leaving like already this plans out the window because people know somehow like the town nearby knows that oh like this girl is here great so I, I we're mean, not to be safe. fair they don't know who the girl is they just know that he has a daughter yeah but like it doesn't take long and by the end of it uh, by the end of the season, it, you know, there a bounty goes out for this girl and anyone harboring it. So, rightfully so, they don't stay in Karen more. They they leave by the end of it. Um, oh yeah, but the the whole people knowing Geralt has a daughter doesn't seem to be the point that people figure out that series there, right? It's he goes out looking for information about what she has, 
and then a few other characters end up giving those details away to other people. Yeah, the whole reason that they leave Kermoran has nothing to do with normal people finding out about her there, but him coming to the realization that monsters are specifically tracking Siri at this point, and he wants to get to the bottom of it and try and resolve that issue. Yeah, ultimately, I think no one even knows, like, there's, like, probably three to five people outside of the Caramore group that know that series with Geralt. And, like, for example, uh, oh, man, the name slipped in my mind. Uh, the nobleman that's trying to take over uh, Zintra. Uh, with the, the Magus that's working with them. Well, with Dijkstra? Yeah, Dijkstra, that's the one. Yeah, yeah. Like, they don't know that Siri and Geralt are together. They just know, oh, Siri's still alive out there somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. However, the, um, the the mages know. Yeah. So well, that's, everyone that's else Triss. is going to know real quick. Well, yeah, that's Triss. Doesn't even find out. Triss is straight up told because Geralt wants someone to help uh, Siri train in her magic because he's pretty clear that she has access to magic. Uh, so he tells Triss, and Triss tells a couple of the other trusted mages. Mm. Um, and then there's that uh, that neutral temple they go to, like, oh, here's Siri, she's magic. Oh, okay, we gotta leave. <laughs> to be fair, I don't uh, think that was because he told them. I think that they tracked her down. Yeah, yeah, but that's my point. It's like they they tracked her really quick, and it's all like the clever conveniences of people being exactly where they needed to be, you know, uh, or or Karen Moore being. What I feel like was, you know, like a day's ride away. It's close, but not that close. Yeah, just like how quickly they got there um, in between the, the second last and the last episode when uh, 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 they're at the site of the destroyed obelisk and then they, they go riding away. And then in the next episode, Daryl's like right there. Whereas in the uh, in the first season and then like uh, the start of the of this season, it takes a while for them to get there. Oh yeah, but I'm glad they're not like bogging us down with oh they've been camping for 13 days and we need to watch it. Well, nothing eventful happens. Yeah, no, they they're getting right into it, but like they, I found that the pacing of this season was just off the whole time. And obviously, a lot of moving parts, a lot of things happening. Uh, so they had to show us uh, a lot of things, and I just I found myself needing to know, you know, more about the A plot with Geralt, obviously, and Siri, who's you know, like everyone's trying to get her to bring about the apocalypse. And then we flash cut over to the elves. And the elves are talking about, you know, the uh, all their backstory and their lore, and trying to have a, um, you know, the the first, you know, true blood baby. And then we we flash cut to um, Dandelion and uh, and Yennefer, and like playful music is jamming as they're like running through the streets. Meanwhile, uh, it, it just harsh cut over from like Siri. Um, getting attacked, uh, which was just a harsh cut over from Geralt uh, exploring this ravine with the mage about how, oh man, like, like uh, the worlds are coming apart and everything's being destroyed now. Look at these beasts that are emerging from uh, uh, other worlds, and then 
you know, just back to some, you know, it was very whiplashy in terms of uh, uh, the urgency flash cutting to something either jovial or something calm and light. One thing I will say about it, uh, with all the jumping around, is it did what it did in the first season very well, is it told stories that seemed like there was an A plot, a B plot, and a C plot. And then by the like final two or three episodes, it ties them all together to the point where it's clear it all three of them were telling the A plot. It was just telling them from different perspectives. Like the true story isn't Geralt training Siri or something like that. The whole story of the season is about the deathless mother trying to break out and inhabit Siri so she can bring the worlds colliding together. Uh, and it's just you're finding that out from different perspectives of what's going on with Siri and her being attacked by the monsters and what's going on with Yennefer, and that's her being told the Deathless Mother plot from the beginning, but not realizing it how it links to the other storylines, and what's going on with, I don't know, fucking the elves was also a part of the Deathless Mother storyline, but it's yes. we don't fully understand what's going on with the Deathless Mother for them either. We don't realize that's what's happening. It's telling three different stories that seem unconnected, and then at the end revealing that they were connected all along. It's... A uh, surprising way of telling a story, and I find it worked out uh, quite well in the end. Yeah, and you're yeah, right. It was it got a was it? It's standing at a ninety-five percent. Uh, yeah, on meta. Yeah, it it did all very neatly come together in, in the final episode, where everything, you know, made sense and worked together. Um, but I found like like the first season. Um, it's very easy to sort of uh, get confused by all that or give up on certain plots because you're like, I don't care about these elves and what they're doing. What, what does it have to do with, oh, okay. It's a very like shaggy dog kind of story where, all right, uh, like it, it eventually all comes so you're, around. You're reminding me of what I think is my favorite scene in the entire uh, second season. Not because it's the best scene or anything, but because of how fucking meta the scene is. And it's when Dandelion is helping uh, Yennefer and uh, the Black Knight get onto a ship bound for uh, Sintra so that they can reconnect with the Nilfgaardian army. And the captain of the ship is initially like being very nice and friendly towards Dandelion. And then as he's walking away, he starts shitting on him about one particular ballad and how he couldn't tell until the end that they were three different timelines that weren't uh, happening at yes. the same time and it was jumping around a bunch. And then it's just Dandelion shitting on him for not enjoying an interesting story being told a special way. And that was entirely just the writers yeah. of the story shitting on the fans because they complained so much about the non-linear storytelling of the first season. And yeah. I found that seemed to be just a fucking beautiful moment of the writers just being like, if you didn't enjoy it, too fucking bad. It was a well-written story. Get over yourselves. Uh, also, it's mm -hmm. like, here is the Black Knight that you're referring to. Here, thank you. I couldn't remember what his fucking name was. Yeah, um, So in that case, let's uh, talk about a couple of the... Rather than talking about it episode by episode, because the way it's presented isn't necessarily the best way to talk about it, I think it makes sense if we talk about the different plot lines individually, and then we can maybe tie them together at the end. Yeah. Uh, if that works for you guys. So let's start with... I don't know. Do you want to start with Yennefer or Geralt first? Because those seem like the two biggest ones for us to talk about. Yeah, well, ultimately, they're should... following those two primarily. Yeah. We should talk about Geralt because it's his show. And he's what Fair everyone's enough. here to see. 
So initially, I don't it's know not about even... you, but I'm here for Joey Beatty. I don't know who that is. I'm entirely here it's for Yaskier. Uh, okay, I was going to say his character's name because I didn't know his actor's name, but the, he's 100 percent the one I'm here for as well. Yes. Uh, so uh, Geralt, as we said, it picks up right after the battle where he's essentially been informed that uh, Yennefer's dead. Uh, we kind of jumped ahead a little bit when we were talking about it earlier because there's also the initial scene of him running into his old friend who's now like a boar man and uh, clearly has some magic that he's not willing to tell Geralt about. Um, and there's a whole kind of reveal of he's living with someone, a cat as he refers to them. Uh, what do you guys think of that whole storyline? Yeah, and uh, for those listening to uh in the books, this is known as a grain of truth, and it's one of the short stories that's in the Last Wish book. Uh, so this yeah. one's kind of out of sequence from the original story, but I felt like it worked well. Yeah, I. It, it... Sorry, go ahead. No, um, it did. Um, like, ultimately, like it comes to about how, um, you know, being alone uh, leads to, uh, like turning into a monster or like eroding you out from the inside and and ultimately it's the juxtaposition of oh you know Geralt you're no longer alone now this doesn't need to be you hold on to her hold on to Siri and yeah um the other thing I quite uh, oh sorry finish your thought um yeah, the other thing I quite liked about uh, this story, and the kind of telling it slightly out of sequence and having it happen here, is that it's a very good setup for the relationship between Geralt and Ciri, where up until now, Ciri has really only been going along with Geralt because she had the dreams about him early on and wasn't fully sure what they meant, so she was just kind of going with him because she felt like she was supposed to. And it's this one where she starts to realize that Geralt is going to do whatever it takes to keep her safe, and seeing that reveal of Sometimes he seems like he's a bit bloodthirsty and will kill for the sake of killing, but that kind of realization that Geralt's not the kind of person you want to be on the wrong side of, but he is absolutely the kind of person you want to be on the right side of. So it's a good jumping off point for the relationship between Ciri and Geralt, at least in my mind. Yeah. I I think so. You know, we get to see Geralt fight. It's not a great fight, but we get to see some some action, you know, we're reminded, oh yeah, he's got magic, he's got these potions, he's a detective in a way. Yeah, I think it's a really good reintroduction to the character to start off the season too. Because it's kind yeah. of like, it does a showcase, but without getting too deep. Yeah, it, uh, it's a good, like, refresher on Geralt and what his fighting style is like and what his personality is like to get not only Siri adjusted to him, but also to remind you, because the last season came out <clears throat> roughly two years prior, so for those who haven't watched since and aren't familiar with any of the books or video games, it's a great way to refresh yourself on who Geralt is and what he does. Yeah, the original series was uh, December 20th, 2019, and this one's December 17th, 2021. Yeah. Alright, uh, so continuing on from there, uh, this is when Geralt, after this story, uh, is when he manages to make it back to uh, Kaer Morhen, and he meets up with some of the other witchers who are there. They seem a little bit kind of judgmental of Ciri at first, I guess I'd say. Um, but not overly negative at first. They grow to love her as time passes. 
put it that way. Um, and then we meet uh, one of Geralt's close friends from when they were younger in training, and that's Eskel. And he's definitely defeated uh, Leshy recently, and nothing bad happened during that fight, and nothing bad is ever going to happen involving Leshy's and Eskel ever again. Right? So, this is... <laughs> uh, thing. All right. Start. So we had this plot thread of Eskel coming back and being infected and then turning into a monster. And in it, he, like, stabs Geralt in such a way that it almost looked like how he got stabbed. So I was convinced Geralt was going to be infected and they have to look for a way to cure him. And they never followed that. Instead, we go two whole episodes before we run into the, the Leshy and, and have to learn more about it. And, oh, no, we don't learn more about it. It just dies immediately to something bigger and worse. And we follow that plot thread, but like super loosely. It takes us a long time to get to the conclusion that this thing is just you know, new, a, mutant, uh, like a new mutant from another world. Whereas I, I figured that they would like up the conflict and put in a race against time by having Geralt have to fight off this infection too. But we didn't do that. I mean, that's not really how the Witcher books work, though. It's never been a, like a race against time for a lot of things. And I wouldn't say that they did just ignore the plot line. It was the kind of the background through line for all of it, right? Uh, as for the Leshy thing of Geralt being affected... I don't think it stabbed him. I think, if I remember correctly, it just kind of slashed at him. But Eskel also wasn't one of these new Leshies. He was just being born from one, and he hadn't fully transformed at that point. So yeah, in addition... Is only the original Leshy was able to change people. Kind of like, you know, a vampire bites you and you turn into a vampire. If a ghoul bites you, you just die. Uh, yeah. In the, addition, the we never actually it... saw the Leshy fight with Eskel, so... Yes, we know that Geralt got hit by Eskel when he was in that Leshy form. We don't know that it was the same way that Eskel got hit. All we know is he got hit. So for all we know, the fight between the Leshy and Eskel was it just raw-dogging his back for 20 minutes straight, and that's what ended up with him having the Eskel, or the Leshy mutation himself. So, yeah. uh, Roger, we, we don't know. It's just the way that the fight with Geralt and and Leshy Iskel uh, turned out. Uh, yeah, it was like, oh, it, it's like pinning him down. And then, oh, it stabbed him with something. Oh, what did it do? Uh, oh, nothing. It just had him down and stabbed for conflict, I guess. Well, I think the yeah. point of this was less so the fight and how it affected Geralt, and more so how it ended up affecting Vesemir, because we see Vesemir is in a dark place after this, to the point where, like, he even comes back from it and decides that they have to kill Siri once she starts showing signs of being infected. Because after having to watch one of the men he raised as a son die, he just is kind of broken inside. And that's more so the purpose of this fight, is less so to develop Geralt and to put a new plot line into this story, and more so to develop Vesemir and have his character go through some... Uh, Growth. Uh, also, to be fair, she like it is like whole dark at the end moment. Uh, a lot of the remaining witches do die due to Siri directly. Oh, yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Siri probably should have just been fucking killed. But I can see why Geralt was unwilling to go along with that plan. Yeah, during that whole fight when, <sighs> okay. yeah, like I had issues with a number of the fights uh, this this season. Like obviously the 
the big one at, at the end has a lot of moving parts, but it, it was pretty lame having like um, Vesemir and the other dude like show up and contain her in a force field when she wasn't even like moving, and then. You know, it's like, oh, no, they need more help. Okay, you go. I'll contain her. Uh, no, no, screw it. Geralt, you're on your own. And it's like, she didn't move for, like, you know. Well, the containing her wasn't like her physical minutes. form, per se. They didn't want her to open up the portal to bring other things through, which, after she stopped being shielded, that's what she did. Yeah, exactly. She brought through, well, she broke the tree and brought through monsters. They started shielding her with the containment field, and then the moment they stopped to fight the monsters, she brought through more monsters. So, the containment was never about keeping her physically in the room. It was stopping her from bringing through more monsters. It was It was all very, like, <clears throat> it seems all very poorly choreographed in how you have a whole bunch of these witchers like flailing their arms, going around like being tossed like rag dolls, fighting these two big dinosaurs. Meanwhile, Geralt and Siri are just standing there having a staring match while everything else is going on. I mean, and but- Geralt's just like, "No, I must, I must stay here. I must try and break her out of it." Like Siri, break out of it. And then he's like, just stands there quiet for like another five minutes while everybody else is fighting and dying. I wouldn't say that was like poor. Like it's the story for Geralt and Ciri is not about a conflict of fighting, right? It's more of like you know battle of wills type thing. And the the Witcher series has never been about the flashy combat either, right? It's like the gritty stuff. It's you know someone getting knocked down and their shit beat out of them for like five minutes. Yeah, it's about watching Yaskier get tortured for twelve minutes straight, only to have Yennefer show up and blow someone's face off with fire. That's what the series has always been about. It's never been about perfectly choreographed fight scenes and all that stuff. The fight scenes are fun, but they're not what the series is about. It's always been more of a kind of dark storytelling. Yeah, you're going back to the first season when uh, he meets uh, Yennefer, uh, not Yennefer, Triss, and he's got to fight the, uh, like, sh- I can't remember what she was, but the, the princess that was uh, turned into a monster. Yeah, that not, wasn't like not a big fight. Yeah, that wasn't no. When he meets Triss in the same episode, but when he's fighting that princess, uh, it's not like a big flashy fight. It's Geralt getting the shit kicked out of him for like ten minutes until like the right moment happens for him to break the curse. Yeah, but there was that like super flashy or like the well choreographed thing of him. You know, the first um, first bit of action we get in the whole series. Is like you know him taking on a room full of guys and and everything works. Everything is uh, choreographed well. Uh, like there's no uh, stationary parts of people just standing there doing nothing. Oh yeah, and that that happens when he fights people. But monsters are kind of a different beast in the, the whole sense of it. Because we get a few times of him fighting uh, Nilfgaard soldiers, and it, of course it's not like the big one shot him thing. But I would say the action is about the same, just shot in a different way. Yeah, I'd say the well, it was yeah, it was still good, but there was a lot of um, uh, a lot of moving parts that should have kept moving and weren't because they're like ah, the audience is looking somewhere else, so we can just keep these two characters here. I'd say if we're going back to the first season a little bit to talk about that first episode, the sign of what the series is supposed to be about is. 
not that first fight scene where he's cutting down men in the street. It's the conversation that happened shortly before that, where he's talking about being forced to choose between a greater or lesser evil. And he has this whole diatribe about how if he's forced to choose an evil, he doesn't care about greater, lesser, or middling. He'd rather not choose evil at all. That's what the series is all about, is decent people being put in difficult situations and seeing how they resolve those fucking situations. Which is what a large part of this season is about, with uh, going back to the Deathless Mother, even though we're not talking about that plot right now. And her whole deal in this seri- or in this season is she keeps offering just deals to powerful people of I'll give you exactly what you want and all you have to do is cause suffering for others and people constantly agreeing to take that fucking deal. Yeah, sure. Sounds fine. I mean, to be fair, they don't really know about the whole, you know, Genie's problem with this one. Monkey's paw and all that. I feel like the mages would. I feel like the mages who, you know, know about the ancient evils and monsters and things and and dark gods, especially the elves, I feel like they would know, oh, this is a bad idea. Well, that's the whole point of the scenes we see, where it's not presented as a, a noble beast giving them this information. It's presented as someone they know and trust very deeply giving them this information. The whole reason that Yennefer doesn't fall for it is because there's no one she trusts so there's no visage that the Deathless Mother can take on to convince her that she's on the right side. Because Yennefer trusts fucking no one but herself. So of course Yennefer was going to be mistrusting in that situation. But the other two were shown the face of their dear mother or the commander of the army they're following. And were immediately like, yep, yeah, I'm on board. Let's do this. Let's, let's fucking go. I'll kill as many people as it takes to uh, save the Nilfgaardian army or give birth to the first ever full-blood elf in a uh, hundred years or some shit like that. Yeah, they both did figure out, oh, you're not, uh, I don't know, like the white mother or whatever it was. Oh, you're not, <clears throat> you're not Amir. Who are you? You know, they they did both uh, figure it out, but then yes, they, they immediately went along with it anyway. And it's part of why I really didn't care for those two plot lines, or singular plot line, I guess, of of those two characters. The other two that went to the hut. Yeah, but I, to be fair, I don't think they caught on or found out that that's who she was the whole time too, because they used a different name for her. I can't remember what it was, but they like the whole concept of her being uh, the deathless mother didn't really come up until much later after they already. Because uh, I believe it was Geralt that brought it up early. Uh, yeah, like yeah, he's the know, one who talked about the first demon sealed by the first witchers. Yeah, yeah, they don't know who or what it is. They just know. It's, you know, they, they figure out, oh, you're not the entity I thought you were. And she's like, eh, what's the matter? Have some power. Have a child. Okay, sure. You didn't lie to me up to this point, but that sounds fine. Oh, yeah, but th- they were desperate in their own situations, right? Yeah. And hell, even Yennefer ends up uh, making a deal with her, in a sense. Although it ends up... Well, yeah. to be fair, that's... Also, sometimes Yennefer's whole stick is making deals with the worst fucking possible people. Because at I will say Yennefer is a good character at heart, but Yennefer is constantly making decisions that makes other people's lives worse on the belief that it will make her life slightly better. And it's a shame, but that's just who her character is at heart. Yeah, and th- like for season one, her 
making the decision to tap into chaos to sacrifice herself. And it straight up was her sacrificing herself to wipe out the enemy. That that was supposed to be like, oh, her character growth, her resolution of, of like growing better at, uh, as a person. And, oh, okay, now we're back to her being desperate and throwing other people, children, under the bus. Uh, it was but they did like, a good job of showing how she ended up back at that mindset by showing, honestly, how useless of a character... Um, it's a little bit harsh. But how useless of a character she is once the chaos has been taken away from her. Like, yeah, she still has her political machinations and her ability to manipulate others. And she uses those to great effect. But when the chips are down and she's in a life-or-death situation, there's not a huge amount she can do without access to the chaos. So they even show her being put in multiple situations where she is essentially in a life-or-death situation and refuses to take back the power to use the chaos because she knows she shouldn't deal with the Deathless Mother until she finally gets to the point where it's like half a dozen times where she was going to die and manages to get out of it. And then she's captured by guards, and it's made very clear she's going to be fucking killed for her actions. That she finally gives in to the Deathless Mother. You see, I didn't take it as a full, she reverted back to how she was. It was more of, I think all that growth from the first season still takes effect, and she's still that new character. But it's, she had all of that power, and she was able to like kind of break free of her controls, and she made that choice. And then, now she's in a spot where all of her power as she sees it is gone. Yeah, she has a bunch of other skills outside of her magic, but it's more of she made the choice and grew into a certain type of person, and then this season was more of making her reflect on who that person is without the magic. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they even like do a good job of showing that she hasn't fully reverted uh, in this situation because every one of her interactions with Siri, even as... In her mind, she's leading Siri to potentially her death, even though she's kind of rationalized with herself that she was never told it would be Siri's death. It was She's just leading a key to a lock, and we'll see what happens when that happens. So she kind of rationalized with herself that she wasn't just killing off a child, even though she kind of knew she was. They even show while she's going through all these steps, she is still looking after Siri and doing her best to make sure Siri grows as an individual and can resolve her issues and teaches her control of the chaos, which she really didn't need to be doing during those times. It was yeah, very pay- much so. The payoff of this is even that, even though it's like at the, almost at the last second, she makes the choice before it even gets to that point to, you know, give up on that deal. It's like, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. So yeah, to say she reverts uh, at the beginning of this season after all of the growth she went through last season isn't the most accurate way of describing what happens. Yeah, it was more of the first season was all about her breaking the control that was on her and this season is looking at what she is if she's just herself without the magic yeah and she you know clearly not happy with that wanted to you know needed to get her former self back so you know things it's gonna be interesting seeing where she fits in in the next season where Geralt will obviously want nothing to do with her uh but, you know, what else is there for her to do other than tag along with them and fulfill the rest of the, you know, the rest of the written story? Yeah, Geralt's, yeah. you know, telling, or Geralt's traveling with both of them and it's protecting Siri and making sure she's safe. Well, you know, Yen's the one who's going to be teaching her how to use her magic fully. 
and then they're just going to be off on the road somewhere. Yeah, be interesting. Like, I liked how season one worked of like going place to place, Geralt doing different missions and different hunts. Um, like, like that's an interesting story, you know, Mandalorian style, where oh, now we're here doing this job. Oh, now we're going over here and we're going to do this job, and maybe this job goes for two episodes because it's it's really big. Uh, yeah, or, it's or essentially the old. Now. Yeah, the old Western like, style of storytelling, yeah, where it's the, the stranger guy, rolls the into town, samurai. resolves the situation, and then leaves. Yeah, although uh, in reference to the material that this is based off, that's really only the first two books, and then the rest of the story is more of just linear. Uh, yeah, it's a more concise storytelling. Yeah. After that, there's still Monster of the Week aspects where it's different monsters they go around, but it's definitely the monsters and the monster hunting is not the forefront of the story, and it no, not really. The is. conflict but with Nilfgaard is very. Worse. Largely, yeah. a large part of the story for the most part. Yeah. And then it starts talking about some other shit going on. That uh, the end of this season hints towards happening. Actually, I think that's something worth talking about right now because we get a reveal at the end of the season that I believe doesn't get revealed to the last book. Uh, the Amir reveal? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, if I'm correct, because uh, it has been some time since I went through the books, I'm pretty sure us finding out that Ymir is Siri's father is not until the last book. In fact, I believe it's not even until like halfway through the last book. Uh, yeah, well, I kind of understand why the reveal had to happen earlier, because... Visual medium versus written medium, it's kind of hard to say. Is yeah. that the actor that played Siri's father? It would very much become one of those things where it's either, hey, isn't that the actor who played Siri's father? Or, why do they refuse to show Amir's face? Why is it always, like, his chest while he's petting a cat or some shit like that? My lord, so, why don't you take off your helmet? Because I don't get inside of here. So, it was one of those things where, once they started having Amir on screen, it was just going to have to happen eventually. Yeah. Which is why we don't get that reveal for the first one, because it's never Amir chasing her, it's Kahir chasing her the entire time. Yeah. Um, but to finally have this Amir revelation, um, you're right. It is. I don't remember if it's specifically the last book. It might be the second to last book. It's I'm very not 100%. Story. Yeah, I haven't read the books recently either. Um, but uh, yeah, it is much earlier in the story this time around than it was in the books. But as stated, that's a little bit easier to do in a written medium than in a visual medium. Oh, of course. I guess the other thing, or the part that uh, caught me off guard with it is. And I don't want to go into depth into it because it is very much a spoiler for why uh, Ymir is going for Siri a little bit beyond being the daughter. But Ymir's plan, I feel like they're going to have to change it a little bit because he announced to everyone in his kingdom, essentially, or in that room at the very least, that he is the father of Circe. Uh, Circe, Siri. Cirilla. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when his plan in the books kind of would make everyone say, oh, you're kind of an asshole. Yeah. Uh, I I have a feeling that while it's actually been relatively faithful, I'll say, to the books, uh, they have made some changes, obviously, but yeah, I would so I think that plot point will end up changing. I think it'll change, and I think there will be people on the internet who are mad about that, yep. because uh, we've talked about this before, and we'll talk about this again, but I don't understand people getting annoyed when plot points are changed ever so slightly in an adaptation because like, oh, it's not the same as the book. And my reaction, my gut reaction every time someone complains about that is like, 
what's the benefit of it being exactly the same as the book? If it's exactly the same as the book, then every plot point you know a mile away, so it's not going to be a fun reveal when it happens. Yeah, if they're changing things, then you get a fun reveal when you see that, even if you're familiar with the book. The fact of the matter is, the series is being made for fans of the book, and if you're a fan of the book, and you know all the plot points, you're not going to find the show enjoyable if it's just telling the exact same fucking story. It has to make some changes, especially where it is a visual medium, they have to make some changes because some things just are told better via book versus via movie or TV. Yeah, different mediums, so obviously different ways you have to do things, so a, a straight book adaption doesn't always work, and that's the thing, right? And yeah. also, uh, the Witcher books came out how long ago? So obviously some stuff needs to be updated to make more sense as well. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah, totally agree. 30, like, 30 a lot of things ago. need to be changed. Um, uh, and it, it makes things more interesting around to, to see... Um, you know, like obviously the the directors, the the writers of this show got to look at what worked and what didn't work. You know, um, started listening to Henry Cavill when he says, "Do this." Yep. Yeah, that is so. one of the details I enjoy. One of the behind the scenes details is in the first season, it was a lot of Henry Cavill saying, "You shouldn't do this. You should do it this way," and no one on set listening to him. And then by the time season two came around, more and more people are starting to listen to Henry Cavill when he says to do it this way. Because everything everyone complained about was the things he was saying, you should fix this. Yeah. Yeah. um, And and plus, you know, like, we have a lot of fans uh, watching for the... uh, Because there are fans of the third game. You know, the third game is really what brought uh, The Witcher into mainstream popularity. So seeing this, um, you know, like there's a lot of different endings, a lot of stuff goes on. So it'll be interesting to see what um, what they do for the ending, uh, and you know, uh, if they leave this open for more, you know, more series. Um, well, we already after know, like, all. There's, like what? So we had the animated origins one. Uh, yeah. Now we're getting another Origins series. Yeah, yeah, but the first if you saw to the end of the TV show, they are, are, sorry, if you saw to the end of season two, we have a trailer for the next game. I say game, yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, Blood Origin, the next series, which is yes. the story of the first Witchers uh, for Netflix in live action. I mean, I love having more in this world, and to be fair, they're actually going through the, like, the books pretty quickly, because at the end of season two, we're already into the fourth book out of eight. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's a lot of lore. The, uh, the last uh, wish and sort of destiny, and this season is a little bit from Last Wish, Blood of Elves, and then a little bit from Time of Contempt. Yeah, it's mostly Blood of Elves, and then the beginning of Time of Contempt, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a lot of lore, which I found like. The first two episodes of season two had, you know, it, it was a lot of lore and exposition and, and characters being brought back in. So, you know, works. But, uh, yeah, again, like, same sort of um, issues with the, the pacing and the, you know, nonlinear storytelling. If you're just watching this for, 
you know, a simple pick out popcorn kind of flick. I, I will admit to that. This is yeah, not a series I, to sit down and shut your brain off. This is a series you have to be willing to think about while you watch. Yeah. Which is not what some people are turning Netflix on for. Oh, yeah. You know, in the days of just binging shit. So, oh, what's on? Or what's in the what's in the top ten? I'll watch it. Doesn't matter what it is. I'm just going to watch it because it's in the top ten of Netflix while I you know, play on my phone or while I cook something. Oh, wait, what's this? What, what's this huge, like, blood feud? Why are they killing uh, babies uh, as they, like, walk out? Uh, this, is, this is fucked up. To be fair, the one thing I will say is uh, on the whole idea of uh, shows that get released all at once to binge or weekly releases, I think Witcher definitely does benefit from being uh, a full release. Because ultimately, each season's pretty much a really long movie in itself. I feel like going weekly would hurt the series. Yeah, there are some series I think weekly is absolutely the way to go because it gives fans a, ta- a chance to like talk about what's going on in the show. I don't think this show is one of the ones that needs that time for people to discuss and theorize between episodes, especially with the non-linear storytelling and the jumping around between plot lines. It seems like one that benefits from the ability to just sit down and binge and follow up on those plot lines at your choosing rather than having to wait and get confused about what was happening in the different parts of the story and different worlds. Yeah, and that on top of that, the series isn't about like speculation and theories and stuff at the same time. Like obviously there's going to be theory crafting regardless and what things mean, but like uh, I guess a good example would be something that did something similar to what the first season of Witcher did, which was Westworld. Westworld was actually meant to you had like think about things and like oh what could this mean and that was what it was kind of built around so it needed the weekly release to have that talking period but witcher it's a giant like direct story that's kind of just going bit by bit And there's obviously going to be those confusing parts like oh what's this mean but i feel like it's not really set up to think about that much it's more of oh it will tell you you just gotta watch the next part of it yeah and that's actually a really good comparison because westworld season one also did a lot of that jumping around between different timelines without making it clear that that's what it's doing. But Westworld was largely built around that reveal happening and uh, how much it affected what your interpretation of events was. So you could go back and watch the season again, and everything seems different now that you understand the different timelines that are happening. Whereas in this one, it wasn't built to be binged multiple times. Like, yes, there's absolutely something you can do and you can get enjoyment from, but the reveal of the different timelines and how they line up isn't something that's like a big twist reveal at the end. It's something that you start to pick up on the details as you're watching, and you start to realize, obviously, these are different timelines, and it's just telling different stories, but because they're different lengths, it's telling them at different paces. And it just so happens to work out that they're different timelines that come together. Yeah, it's a story of Yen, uh, Geralt, and Ciri, and it's kind of told that way so we can get all the development and them all at the same spot at the same time to end it with. Yeah. If it told all of the story at the same time, Siri would not appear before the final fucking episode because her events don't start happening before that point in time in the uh, rest of the story. Plus, we'd have like three episodes of just Yen. Yeah. So, that was an insightful and very helpful comparison of the binge versus uh, one at a time for this versus Westworld. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's just... The season so far of uh, this have felt like just big movies that are broken up into sections. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, uh, great uh, production quality has gone into this show. You know, like um, I like the design of the monsters. However, uh, obviously, like the ones in the final episode definitely had the most love and attention, whereas the other ones, um, uh, like the what what do you even call it? Uh, uh, the the Chernobog. Uh, like the the big the thing that was made out of the obelisk shards that was flying around. Yeah, that yeah, one did not look. Yeah, that one did not look nearly as well as the others. Just like it, it was kind of like pretty poor CG. I mean, I personally didn't notice it, but it, it's yeah, it didn't stick out to me. TV show production level, even if it is Netflix. So there's going to be those yeah. types of things. Not everyone has Disney money. One of the well, things like, that I did like was the fact that the Chernobog and the, I don't know, the demon monster that killed the uh, Leshy early on in the season, the fact that those looked so distinct from anything else in the series, I really enjoyed that because it kind of showed that those ones in particular are not of this world because, as we learned later on, when the conjunction of spheres happened, it was just the worlds kind of passing by each other and a bunch of monsters came over at that point and that's all the monsters this world has ever known is the ones that came through at this point. So the fact that these ones look so visually distinct from all the others, because they're just literally monsters that aren't of this world and don't fit in with the rest. And as most people probably figured out when those spheres crossed, the worst monster to come over was humans. Yeah, yeah. humans were the monster all along. Um, well, and, and that was always like a, a plot thread, even in the first one, where yeah. they're going over like you know, you know, like, on... protect both worlds. You know what's really the the worst threat. Thinking back on the first ep- uh, first season in comparison with this one, you kind of get the feeling that uh, the author of this series uh, has a lot of thoughts in common with uh, a couple of our friends who we've played D anD D with, which is just that magic is the greatest evil that mankind could ever participate in, because a lot of like. The worst things that happen in this series are happening at the behind, or at the hands of the different magic users, like yeah. Stragaborn killing a bunch of women because they were born during a full moon, and that means one of them might end up being a demon, and shit like that. It's just a whole bunch of just magic users are the worst people in this series. Like humans yeah. in general are pretty bad, but the ones who have access to magic always seem to be worse. Well, the Brotherhood of Mages, who are like, oh, we're we're a bunch of people with magic. All right, let's form an Illuminati. That will basically run the governments yeah. of the world, which we'll makes put, us the you know the leaders of uh, we'll, of humanity. We'll train mages and uh, offer them out on loan to the different fucking uh, lords of the different cities, uh, and act like we're providing a service to them. But really, what we're doing is putting a snake in their chambers to whisper in their ear and tell them what to think. And uh, yeah, it's. I don't necessarily agree with it in all forms of fantasy, but in this particular form of fantasy, the author very much does seem to have the mindset of uh, the people who wield magic are the worst things that uh, happened after the conjunction of spheres. Well, it's the funny thing, because uh, going back to Stregobor and kind of his stuff with Yen, it's like, oh, she's half a, oh, wait, no, a quarter elf, or an eighth elf, yeah. and she used fire magic just like this person, and it's almost like, kind of mirroring, like, the things he's saying about her going mad with power is clearly kind of what he's done. But at the same time, we also don't know his backstory, so maybe he did see some shit and he kind of traumatized him, but still. Yeah, it's very much so. The Stregbor and all the other like members of the Council of Mages are very much on the side of 
they're elves, the fact that they joined Nilfgaard isn't that much of a surprise. They were going to betray us and try and kill us eventually. It's like, you've been, like, locking them up and whipping them uh, in the fucking cities, and you're calling them evil for not playing along with that role that you've been giving them this entire time? Interesting stands to take. They're clearly the bad ones. I 100% agree. Um, yeah, the, just, <clears throat> pretty much like the word. everyone. Dead. Everyone is a, a a piece of shit. Is just you know, how it goes. Yeah. Except for Geralt. Geralt's pretty cool. Yeah, there's not like Geralt's Geralt still a is, piece of shit sometimes. Yeah, Geralt is an asshole, uh, but he's honest about being an asshole. So yeah, I wouldn't say there's like any pure good characters really in the story. Yeah. I mean, I, it's supposed to be like you know, Siri and her yeah. Innocence. I guess Siri is like the good one, but that's another part of the juxtaposition. Is she's one of the few characters who is like good air quotes in that they don't have any clear signs of dickishness inside them, but also that's the character who has the potential to destroy the entire world, and it's just giving that power to that character just so that everyone else has an excuse to be even more of a dick to them and try and manipulate them. You know, thinking about it, Melsic's pretty good. Sorry, who? Uh, the mage that looked after Siri. Uh, we got a flashback oh, to him in this one. Moser, yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to think, like, what characters would I say, like, I would trust them fully. Definitely not Siri's grandmother. That one, not at all. No. Even Yaskara I wouldn't trust. No. Uh, see, here's the thing. There are situations in which I would 100% trust Yaskir, but I would not be comfortable saying I 100% trust Yaskir, because there are also so many situations I would 0% trust Yaskir. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, they do a lot of the stuff really well. It's just, uh... <laughs> um... Yeah, in a way, you could say like, "Oh, yeah, like them not just killing Siri when she gets possessed, and and them, you know, choosing to save her is them like saving humanity, uh, and just yeah, you know, didn't need to be as upfront as it as it was when it was also revealed that oh yeah, um, that the main bad." Uh, demon thing feeds off of people's hate and intolerance so all you have to do is not be filled with revenge and hate and love one another and the bad demons go away it's like oh all right how quaint i mean sounds easy this is your stereotypical fantasy story with like grand destiny and stuff it's just got a different yeah yeah and even in like the first episode they talk about how, oh yeah, true love is is the key to everything. Yeah, like scientists and mages have studied it for years, and yeah, true love will triumph every time over everything. It's like, all right, well, and uh, not to it, spoil things, but uh, the Witcher does have a the true treasure was the friends we made along the way plot line that happens at one point. Oh yes, it does. <laughs> so yeah. I'm looking forward to that coming up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it is is it is very blunt and upfront about a lot of this stuff, and even um, even Dandelion uh, has his you know his songs, and he he has his resentment for Geralt, but then you know he he just like pretty much 
the same episode. He's talking about how, uh, yeah, the friends always come back for you. So, uh, fuck. Well, yeah, you're right. <laughs> uh, yes, you're very much so has, and I found this quite amusing. Uh, less so the personality of like someone who has grown to hate Geralt from leaving him, and more so just the personality of like someone who's got unrequited love for Geralt, and that's very much so how it's played. Is Yaskier's very clearly like in love in air quotes, but has strong feelings for Geralt, and Geralt just does not reciprocate those feelings. And it's just Yaskier wanting to be friends with someone who does not want to be friends with him until it finally works out for him. To be fair, I think uh, Geralt does want to be friends with Yaskier. It just doesn't know how to express his feelings properly, which is just the yeah. Geralt plotline. Yeah, I should phrase it that way. It's not that Geralt doesn't want to be friends with it. It's just from Yaskier's perspective, Geralt doesn't want to be friends with him because Geralt doesn't know how to express that he wants to be friends with Yaskier. Um, and so Yaskier comes across much like a jilted lover who just was never given the attention that they deserved. Yep. Where, you know, Yaskier's whole thing is finding love with as many people as possible wherever he goes. So as far as the actual jilted lover comes across as less of a jilted lover. Like, yes, Yennefer also has a similar reaction to Geralt as Yaskier does, but Yaskier just turns that shit up to 11, whereas Yennefer's at, like, a comfortable, like, 8. Well, and I, it's, it's just... That's the thing about Yen. Like, she comes off more like, I can't believe you've done this. I don't have time for you. Yeah, it's not, I'm in love with you and I am upset that we haven't been able to spend time together. It's, I thought I was in love with you and it turns out it was a genie spell. And it's her coming to terms with the fact that maybe she was in love with him and it was also a genie spell. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, it's kind of what she's going through for the early parts of this season slash the end of the last season. Hmm. Um, and it's just kind of funny that the one who actually was in a relationship with uh, Geralt and who was, in theory, scorned by him based on his actions uh, is not the one who acts like that's their relationship, and that's Yaskier who acts like it. Yaskier's such a good character, I fucking love him. But yes, he has another bop this fucking season. Last season he had the uh, Toss a Corn to Your Witcher, and this time it's Burn Butcher Burn. What did you guys think of that song? Did you enjoy it? Did you find yourself dancing along? It was good. He didn't have as many songs this time around. He really has two. And, yeah. uh... <laughs> yeah. Um, I, you know, we don't get a, a full treat to either of them. I like the other one a lot. Where he's, um... Uh, just, like, where he's in prison singing. <laughs> oh, he where was, he... He was uh, having fun with that one. Yeah, I haven't had much time. And good singing skills. I haven't had enough time to like go through the soundtrack again, I, but I remember distinctly like season one had a lot of good songs from it because it was like Toss a Coin Your Witcher obviously just took off. Uh, I was a fan of Her Sweet Kiss, which is another good one. Yeah. But uh, yeah, Burn Butcher Burn is the only one that kind of stands out from the season, but uh, that could change once I listen to the soundtrack a few times. Yeah, we'll have to see where it ends up. Yeah, he, he, I, I think regardless of it being a Witcher soundtrack or not, Joey Beatty just needs to release an album. Yeah. yeah. So we we didn't get enough. You know, like when I said I was expecting more, I was expecting more songs and I was expecting more Shirtless Geralt. We <laughs> saw none of Shirtless Geralt this time around. You know, my heart did not melt. First season, well, we had cause... a few scenes where, you know, he's just... First season was all about 
showing how Geralt can get down and fuck when he needs to. And this season, Geralt's main character attribute was father, and it'd be weird seeing your dad without a shirt on all the time, so I of mean, course they had to tidy that up. His secondary attribute was heartbroken because Yennefer left him, and he was dealing with that still, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he thought she Whereas was Whereas his first season, season, his whole attribute was daddy, and that we want to see a lot of. Yeah. Uh, so, as you know, he, he, when he's just standing there, uh, when he's just standing there a few times, you can tell he's still jacked at AF because of how, like, his arms are just kind of, like, unable to go down all the way by his side. <laughs> they just kind of float out in front of him. I think that might uh, be the armor, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the armor, but... It's definitely not not Henry Cavill, though. It's a little bit Henry Cavill still. Yeah. So, yeah, we were expecting to see more, you know, more shirtless Henry Cavill just depraved of water. So those abs do that thing where they just jut out from the body. Well, I can't say there will definitely be more shirtless Henry Cavill, but I think considering how the rest of the story goes, we'll definitely be getting more Yasker songs. Yeah. Yeah, because that's how the series is totally going to end, is, you know, after it all, Yaskier telling the story through a song in a tavern, like, years down the road. You know, they're like, oh, whatever happened? Huh? Let me sing you the tale. dun 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 dun, dun. <laughs> Well, that's kind of just like how I've always interpreted the story is it's not so much like this is the story as it's happening, but this is yes, you're telling the story. And that's why we get that scene of a person complaining about the first season in world. And it's because yes, very clearly wrote a song and his song was just season one as a whole. And he told that story and people fucking complained to him about him in world. So this is a little bit meta, but that's just how I've always chosen to interpret the series as a whole is yes, it, this is the events, but it's more so just, this is Yaskier telling the events. So there might be some slight embellishment on the exact ways that things went down, but who cares? It's fiction anyways. Him calling the first song, what's your season one? Like, why is it season one? <laughs> just wait what? and see. Why is it season one? Yaskier? Why is it called the Witcher? There are a bunch of witchers. Why isn't it called the butcher of Blaviken or something like that? It's like, Fuck you, I'm the storyteller. I get to choose what I call my fucking story, bitch. Yeah, is actually just omnipresent, and he's able to see everything that will happen. Yeah, he's not only aware of what has happened and what is currently happening, he's aware of what is to come. Yeah. Before they first meet, he's already talking to fucking uh, Geralt about Ciri, and Geralt's like, who the fuck is Ciri? Why do you keep mentioning this fucking name to me? Oh, you'll see. You'll see Ha 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 ha! It dances Sorry. off. Strums, yeah. uh, strums on the loot as like money just flows into <laughs> his pockets. It's like, God, I hate this guy. Well, off to you get swallowed by a whale again. <laughs> Most powerful man in existence. Yeah, so <clears throat> it'd be interesting to see more of like, we haven't seen much of Yaskier aging, despite the fact it's been a while. I don't um, think Yaskier obviously, ages at all, honestly. Like, it's a time season one, years go by. Yeah. Um, but just in the way it's framed, we don't know how much time. Uh, well, I guess it, we know that it's, um, what, like 12 years? Something like that? I mean, um, we see uh, Yen when she's like a normal person, and she's like, what, 
15, 16, roughly, at the start. Yeah. And, yeah, but uh, that's... By the end we, of season like, that's one, she's much like 90. Early. Yeah. Um, but, like, when, when Geralt first meets um, Yaskier, it's before Ciri is born. Yeah. Yaskier is 42 in-universe uh, at the time of season two. He's 42 years old. He doesn't look it. I mean, it's a well, that's magic. Good. Yeah. He's a beautiful young boy. He gets to look whatever he wants to look. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, he's in great fucking shape. You know, you see him without a shirt on, <laughs> and he's ripped. And yeah, yeah. Despite him, uh, despite all we know about him is that he he drinks and parties, and you know, isn't good in a fight. He is a a ripped, good-looking dude who, you know, I guess. Uh, Still just screwing around at the age of 42. I was about to say he's yet to meet the love of his life, but as we've already discussed, he has long since met Geralt. He already knows the love of his life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so 12 years or so, uh, he looks exactly the same. Siri, obviously, it's going to be a bit harder for her to age, so she probably... I don't know if they're going to uh, keep her at the same age, you know, for the next season or not. It would make sense that they just keep the same actress. She's going to be like a year older or whatever. And uh, yeah, they'll just go with that. Yeah, because in the book series, she ages up, so they might. I don't know if they're going to try to change actresses or just delay to let her age up normally. Well, just because all the other events of the world are happening, it makes sense that they, like the the next, um, no, the next season takes place like a year later. They're still on the run. Everything else is still happening. Uh, as opposed to, oh yeah, like several years have passed. Everybody else just kind of sat on their hands and waited for the a plot to keep going. I guess. Uh, so they could change out a, uh, so change out one actress for a, you know, a slightly older actress. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Well, they plan to handle it, but they've done a good job so far, so I'm not too worried. <clears throat> I'm sure they'll figure something out. I'm not. No, I'm uh, it's probably only one more season. Just the way it's going. I don't see this turning into a massive Game of Thrones thing. I could I see them squeezing two more seasons out of it. I mean, keep in mind that the first two books are just yeah, uh, short stories that were compiled into like one season on itself. If I had to make an educated ga- uh, guess just where this season was mainly Blood of Elves and most of Time of Contempt, I think we're probably getting at least three more seasons. Three more seasons. Yeah, I mean, season th- uh, three and four was already greenlit, so... I don't know. The the fact that like all right, now we've seen the wild hunt and like, you know, we we've been introduced face to face with both the wild hunt and um uh Emir, like the you know, the big bad emperor. It's like, okay, here's our two main antagonists. Now we can deal with them because we know what they're after and you know we, Yeah, but you think in- they're gonna fit five books worth of story into one season? They don't need to put five books worth, you know. They this about them 
having to choose what to cut. I I would personally say it's a lot of stuff's kind of important to set up how it ends. Especially where the story itself is kind of about Siri growing up. Because uh, as much as we we'll, follow we'll Geralt see. in the books, Geralt's not really the main character. It's Siri. Yeah, that's why I think it's only two seasons, honestly, because really there's three books left to tell. The Season of Storms isn't at all about Siri. It's about Geralt himself, and it's set long after the events of the rest of the books. Yeah. So I really just think we have the Baptism of Fire, Tower of the Swallow, and Lady of the Lake left. Well, we still have um, Time of Contempt as well. We only yeah, we do have, still have like roughly half of Time of Contempt. Yeah, so that's but I could see them. Seasons is probably the minimum. I think they could do it in well four seasons total, so two more seasons. I I think it would be a little bit stretched, and they would have to cut stuff. But I could see them squeezing it into two seasons. But three, I could also see happening if they try and do a book a season. Uh, but I could also see them going up to like a book and a half a season and stretching, cutting a little bit to get uh, the last of them in in two more seasons. Yeah, if they were going to do it nicely, I think at the pace they've gone. I, they could probably nicely fit it into five seasons and wrap it up there. Uh, but all we know for sure is that two more seasons have been greenlit. Yeah. Yeah, it's just for the sake of like keeping people's interests. You know? uh, I don't think they have the audience yet to do a uh, you know, massive eight-season story. Let's be fair, Game of Thrones did not have the audience after a single season to do a massive eight-season story. It mm -hmm. grew over time and grew more popular as it went. Uh, also, I think Witcher Season 2 actually like had a sub substantial growth compared to Season 1. Uh, the rating of it went up uh, a full 30%, because Season 1 was only uh, reviewed as 60%. Uh, let's see if I can find the numbers here. 68% for season one, 94 for season two. Yeah. It'd be interesting to see, you know, what they do with it. That's just uh, me. According <laughs> to me saying, yeah, I doubt it's going to go, you know, <laughs> I doubt it's going to go that far. Uh, so according to uh, Netflix's numbers, uh, within the first three days of the show being released, season one had 49.2 uh, million hours, and season two had 142.4 million hours. So it, like, quadrupled pretty much off of uh, one season. It's a lot. It's impressive. Yeah. It really is. Uh, also, to go back a little bit and talk about the game, since we're talking about stats related to this release, uh, the... Uh, Sales of The Witcher 3 were 600% higher in the month that the season one of The Witcher came out than the month that The Witcher 3 initially came out. So yeah. uh, while the game drove sales for the show, I think the show also very heavily drove sales for the game. Yeah, so I think at this point, season one kind of piqued people's interest. And I think there's a lot of people that are just now on board. And again, th these numbers are strictly pretty much the first week of it being dropped on Netflix. So uh oh sorry first three days so uh i think season one is probably already like way higher than that 142 and <laughs> season two has probably already surpassed it as well considering 
Yeah, season one, uh, in the first 28 days, managed to reach all the way up to 541 million hours. So, yeah, it it grew very quickly. All right. It's good to see. And now, of course, we have, you know, the next series coming out, the uh, uh, Blood Origin. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a really cool world, so having more stuff in it's definitely welcomed. Especially because we kind of know what the story of blood origin will be like we don't know the specifics but we know from season two them talking about how the first witchers uh died sealing away the deathless mother uh and that was kind of the rough story of the first witchers so we're probably going to see a little bit of the conjunction of spheres the start of the first witchers and their fight against voleth the first time around or the deathless mother whatever you want to call it i would assume so so it should be a good story uh did we have anything else we wanted to talk about this season we kind of got into math about how the world reacted to the season, so I don't... That usually feels like the point when we're done with the plot, but if there's something we want to go back to quick, that's fine. Uh, no. Alright. Uh, in that case, let's get into some recommendations. What do you guys recommend for things outside the world of the... Well, not outside the world of The Witcher, but outside The Witcher TV series. Reality. Go outside and touch grass, you friggin' nerds. Yeah, Thomas, you're not welcome back. Thanks for participating. <laughs> All right, I'll see you all next week. We're now doing this weekly podcast, not bi-weekly. We'll see about that. I'm going to release a daily one just to spite you. That being said, if you are interested in listening to a weekly podcast, me and Keith individually do release a weekly podcast uh, also under the umbrella of What Is My Podcast About? So check out our Farewell Evangelion podcast. Uh, But seriously, Keith. Yeah, no, that's not my recommendation. That's just, we brought up a weekly podcast and that's what came to mind because I'm a shell. Uh, <laughs> what is your recommendation, Keith? Uh, so for something that feels kind of like Witcher, but a different take, I'm going to recommend uh, the full series of Supernatural. Have fun watching that. Oh my God. How many seasons is that? Uh, I think it was 11. <laughs> Too many. I feel like after five, you can stop. Uh, yeah, I stopped after two. Like that's fair. <laughs> 11? Um, that's probably more than that, honestly. Uh, uh, there is 15 so, seasons of Supernatural. I just checked. 15. How many times do they kill Satan? Like, uh, surprisingly, only twice. Uh, uh, so to be I'm, fair, they didn't kill him; they just sealed him. So, what sure. I'm going to recommend is actually based off an interview Henry Cavill did. So, uh, uh, he did <laughs> know, an interview. Uh, he did an interview where someone asked him if there was any. Uh, other video game series he would like to be a part of uh, the movie or f- TV adaptation of. And he specifically said he'd be interested in doing a Red Dead Redemption adaptation. So I recommend you go play the Red Dead Redemption games before that adaptation comes so you know what the story is before it happens. Or if you want to just be doing Henry Cavill stuff, uh, 40K. 40K, also another great thing to play if you just want to be more like Henry Cavill. Uh, there's actually a great interview where he kind of ropes Tom Holland into uh, doing 40K yeah. miniatures. It, I remember that interview. It starts with Tom Holland kind of making fun of him for doing it before Henry Cavill gives a full explanation, and Tom Holland is immediately turned around. He's like, wait, no, that actually sounds kind of cool. Could that be like a thing we do together? And Henry Cavill's like, yeah, sure. Fucking come over, hang out. I'll kind of force you into doing it. It's great. Um... All right, uh, so that's our recommendation. What yeah. about a question? You know what? Here's a question. In a similar vein, whereas this was an adaptation of books, but also, as Thomas said, the third video game is kind of what brought it to the public's attention. Uh, is there another 
video game adaptation you would like to see made into a TV series? And if so, what is it? So not necessarily one we've never seen before. Maybe you were a fan of the Prince of Persia games and really disappointed by the Prince of Persia movie adaptation and you want to see them do it better. What is something like that that you would like to see? That's my question mm. to the audience, unless you have a better one. Yeah, we do live in a world where, like, <clears throat> Limitless and Taken get TV shows, and MacGruber is now getting a, a TV show. Uh, so, yeah, a- anything's possible. You know? So Also, for my answer, I'm going with Prince of Persia now that I think about it. I thought that one had a lot of potential, and the movie itself did not live up to the potential, so... I want them to make a Prince of Persia TV show and really sink into that one. That'd be so weird if he uses the time powers and go back into a previous episode. (laughs) Oh, that's like would actually be hype as hell is like the first half of the season is him getting the sands of time powers. And then immediately in the like first episode of the second half of the first season, it's him going back to the first episode and you can see him in the background of scenes from the first episode. I think that'd be hype as hell. Uh, yeah, the the person who like bumps into him and like leaves the door open to let him go through actually turned out to be him, you know, in a later episode, kind of thing. I like yeah. It. Hmm. Uh, if I was gonna pick one, I would probably pick Velcry Chronicles. That's fair. That one does have a lot of uh, story going on there, so it'd be interesting I mean, to that, see. Velcry Chronicles is already a show. Is there a Velcry Chronicles show? Wait. Valkyria Chronicles? Yeah. I know they made the anime. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, so the first game had an anime series, but I mean, like, a show set in the world. I I assume we were talking about live action. Oh, no. no. I mean, yeah, you're right. May as well have a a Netflix show. I was like, it's already got an anime. It's based off an anime, like, one for one. You should know better. Keith doesn't watch anime. There's no way he's going to watch that. He needs a live action adaptation for him to watch. If no. I have to change it into something that would no, no, that's per- that, uh, it's a very valid answer. A Soul Caliber slash Tekken story, and the reason I say slash is because they're connected worlds, just different years. Uh, your first answer was better, Thomas. Do you have an answer to this question? Yes, I have the correct answer, and that is Half Life. Valve's not going to finish the series, so the only way we're going to get any conclusion to any of the games is with a Half Life. Netflix series. What if they uh, announce it as a mini se- or a mini series, and they have like four or like twelve episodes, and each one's an hour long, and they release it in act. So there's Act One, which is four episodes, and then Act Two is four episodes, and then they never release Act Three, and that's just the entire Half Life TV series. I'd be into that shit because that'd be very meme tacular. Um, yeah. All right. Uh... Do we have answers from our question from last episode, Keith? Uh, let me pull that up real quick. Yeah. And going back on like Henry Cavill stuff, I think he said, because he's a big nerd, I think he had a lot of comments about, oh yeah, I'd love to be that character. Or I'd love to play you know, that character. I'd love to play you know, uh, in a movie like this. I think that was just him just going off on, you know, Oh, how cool would that be? Like, because I'm an actor, I get to do like all these fun projects. Please, someone hire me. You know. Uh, so we had uh, no. Oh, what was what was our question for the last one? 
what uh, villain should show up in uh, Hawkeye? Was that what the question was? Uh, which villain should show up in the MCU? Or... In the MCU in particular. Okay. I'm surprised we got no answers, but I'll take it, I guess. Um, <laughs> it's better than one particular answer, I'll put it that way. Uh, and you know what answer I'm referring to, but I'm not going to say it out loud. Uh, anyone correctly guess this episode? Uh, no one has correctly guessed the episode as of yet, but, of course, as always, if they manage to guess it before the episode goes live, they will get that uh, called out when the episode goes live. Fair enough. Uh, so, uh, as for our emails, we have received a email. Uh, I'm not going to get into the specifics of it right now. Uh, you'll find out more about what that email contained in two weeks, uh, because it was a suggestion. And as it's a suggestion that came in just before January... Uh, we're probably going to do it as a topic for one of our episodes during January. Um, with that being, this is kind of your last chance to send in some January suggestions because, uh, the next episode is January episodes. Yep. Uh, so as of this going live, you have roughly two weeks to make suggestions. I suppose you have like four weeks probably because we all release two episodes. Uh, but if you wait the full four weeks, there's a solid chance your episode won't get covered in our fanual. But if you get it in within the next two weeks of this episode going live, there's a pretty solid chance it might end up being our second episode of January. Uh, So, that being said, I just want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode. Remember that you can find us on all major podcasting platforms. We also upload to YouTube. uh, And make sure to follow us on Instagram where we have these little polls and questions for you to answer and get involved, as well as pictures for you to try and guess what our episode is going to be about. Uh, Remember, if you want to talk with us you can always email us at what is my podcast about at gmail.com that works great if you have questions you want us to answer or if you have an idea what our podcast should be about in particular for instance say you want us to talk about something during january that's a great way to do it is send us an email at what is my podcast about at gmail.com all those words spelt the way they are normally spelt um make sure to reach out to us there if you have any ideas for us and make sure you tune back in in a fortnight for our next episode uh where I don't know. I guess we're going to talk to the baby merchant.